Well, tonight, um, Brad said, you know, can you do something short? It's going to be my first time. We'll see. <laughs> my first attempt. Actually, it won't be. But tonight, we've gathered together for Good Friday. And uh, Good Friday is kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? I mean, what is so good about the perfect and holy Son of God being falsely accused, betrayed, scourged, whipped, spat on, nailed to a cross, tortured, crucified to death? It's interesting that we call it Good Friday, isn't it? It should be called Gruesome Friday. There has never been a more heinous act of violence or injustice ever committed than the death of Jesus, ever. God became a man. He lived this perfect life. He was always loving, always speaking the truth, never lied to anyone, always helping others, healing the sick, feeding the multitudes, and they crucified him. They killed, they murdered, they tortured him to death, slowly. Have you ever thought of that? (laughs) I mean, really. And have you ever wondered on Judgment Day, who's going to get it? I mean, who did kill Jesus? Growing up, I used to like watching this murder mystery series called Columbo. I don't know if it's still on. I don't have a TV, but some of you, you're laughing. That's good. I I liked it. You could never figure it out. The real complex murder plots, and you're trying to figure out who did it, and there's all these clues, and they'd purposely lead you off and make you think it was somebody, and then at the end, all the information would come out, all the rest of the facts. And then you would know exactly who did it. And you were like, oh, no wonder. Well, tonight I want to take you on a little homicide, just investigation, to to try and ask and answer the question, who did kill Jesus? And we're going to use the scriptures as uh, places to get clues. And we're going to... Find some suspects. We're going to find some motives. And we're going to find some means by which they had to murder Jesus. And then we're trying to find out who actually killed Jesus. Who is the responsible person? And I want you to go back in your mind to the time when Jesus was alive. Think about this. Jesus has been a good guy. Of course, he's caused a lot of riots and things, but it's only because he spoke the truth. And Jesus has gone around with his disciples, and it's the the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is at hand. The Feast of Passover. And Jesus is up in this room with his disciples, and let's just say you're a fly on the wall. And you're looking, and you're listening, and you're watching what's going on. What do you see? Well, you see people reclining and the table being spread, and you see Jesus speaking, 
And Jesus is predicting his betrayal, something very interesting. And right after he predicts his betrayal, you hear Judas say to Jesus, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And you hear Jesus say, You have said it yourself. And all of a sudden you think, this is, this is not good. And later you hear Jesus say to Judas, what you do, do quickly, and Judas leaves. Judas is the number one suspect. Jesus predicted that Judas would betray him. And when you read the scriptures, it identifies him over and over again as the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas's betrayal is unquestionable. In fact, Matthew 10.4 speaks of Judas as the one who betrayed him. But what was Judas's motive? What was, what was his motive? Well... If you read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, we learn that Judas liked to keep the money box. And why did he like to keep the money box? John says he kept the money box because he would pilfer from it. Judas was a lover of money. In Matthew 26, 14 through 17, we read, Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. There you have it. The motive. The method, betrayal. Betrayal into the hands of those who hated and wanted to kill Jesus. The fact of Judas's betrayal is clinched as he appears in the Garden of Gethsemane with a huge crowd. Kissing Jesus in front of all the disciples. And everybody knows at that time that Judas has betrayed the Lord of glory. Matthew 26, 47 through 50 reads, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up and accompanied by a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders and the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whoever I, I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So it seems pretty conclusive, doesn't it, that Judas was the one really responsible for the death of Jesus. He had the motive money. He had the means betrayal into the hands of Jesus' enemies. And it could be argued that if Judas never betrayed Jesus, he never would have died. But let's consider another suspect, a group of suspects, the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders had motives too, didn't they? I mean, many times Jesus in public just rebuked them, exposed them called them hypocrites and blind guides of the blind. He refuted their false arguments. He exposed their hypocrisy in public, in front of the crowds of people. He just defrocked them, and they hated Jesus. 
In fact, in Mark 11:18, after Jesus rebuked them publicly, we read, And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. There's jealousy, there's envy, there's fear. The Jewish leaders were jealous. They were humiliated and threatened. Mark 14, 1 says, now the Passover and the unleavened, of the, and unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. They're the ones who pay Judas. If you hire an assassin, the assassin may do the job, but the ones who pay him are responsible. So it was the Jewish leaders who killed Jesus. They are the ones who paid Judas. They were the ones who had tried to kill him all along. They're the real murderers. Judas was only a pawn. Or was it somebody else? Now, what about Pilate? Pilate was the one in charge. The Jews did not have the right to kill anybody. They didn't have the right to crucify anybody or kill anybody. Rome was in charge and Pilate was Rome's representative. The scriptures tell us that Pilate found no guilt in Jesus, but he wanted to please the people. Motive. So you have a man who's in charge. You have a man who can order the death sentence and... His motive is he wants to please the people. He was afraid of losing favor with the people, of starting a riot, and then people would find out that he wasn't a good governor because, you know, he wasn't able to control the people. And the people were obviously up in arms about Jesus. So Pilate had the means and Pilate had the motives. He was in charge. He had the authority to put to death or the authority to set someone free. But wanting to have the influence and favor with the people... He gave in and allowed Jesus to be crucified. Luke 23, 22 through 25 says, Pilate had Jesus scourged, a punishment which in and of itself often killed people. They would take a whip and put all sorts of glass and bone and sharp objects into it and beat people and rip the flesh off their back. People often died just from the scourging alone. He had Jesus scourged. And ordered that Jesus be crucified, even though he found no guilt in him. So it was Pilate who killed Jesus. Pilate had the motive. Pilate had the means. He had the authority. Or did he? Did Pilate have the authority? What about Herod? If you remember the story of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was a Galilean and Herod was the tetrarch over Galilee. And this is why Pilate sent Jesus to Herod because he did not have authority over Jesus. Herod did. And so Pilate thought, well, this is a good thing, because all I have to do is, is shuffle him to Herod. And whatever Herod does is fine with me, but no one's going to blame me because I'm not going to do it. 
But did Herod have a motive? Oh, Herod had a motive. The Herods were known as wicked, jealous murderers. Herod knew Jesus claimed to be a king. Herod knew that Jesus had a great following. And a week previous, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey and people cried out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they wanted to make him king. Jesus publicly insulted Herod in Mark 8.15 when he told the people to beware of the leaven of Herod. Also in Luke 13.31-32, Jesus referred to Herod as that fox. Herod knew these things. And he was known as this ruthless murderer. He killed people for much less things all the time. Remember, he is the one who did John the Baptist in. And if there was one thing the Herods all wanted more than anything else is they wanted to be known as king of the Jews. And yet people kept mocking Jesus. Pilate kept saying over and over, this is the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. So Herod had plenty of motive. And Herod, though, not having any grounds to accuse Jesus, should have let Jesus go. But instead, he sent Jesus back to Pilate. He shirked his responsibilities. He abdicated his duties. And he sent Jesus back to Pilate. And because of that, it was Herod who was guilty. It was Herod who was responsible for the death of Jesus because Herod was over him and Herod should have stopped it, but Herod didn't. But what about the crowd? If you remember, even though Herod did send him back to Pilate, Pilate stood up and said, this man is innocent. Do you remember when he said that? He even did a ceremonial washing where he stood up in front of the people and he put his hands in the bowl and said, you know, I wash my hands of this matter. This man is innocent. But what about the crowd? Well, the crowd cried out, crucify him. They wanted to see some excitement. That was a motive. I mean, when you have a crowd and it's boring, it's a hot day in Jerusalem, let's kill somebody. And they wanted to see some excitement. They wanted to get rid of this troubler of Israel. They wanted to see if Elijah might come and save him. Jesus was a novelty. He was a carnival act to many of them. The fact is Jesus made many enemies and only a few friends. The crowd had the motive. If what Jesus said and preached and taught was true, every one of them was condemned before God. And only a few of them would make it to heaven. This gave them motive. And remember, there was a great multitude with the chief priests when Jesus was arrested in the garden. They took part then also. And and when it was time to let Jesus go, do you remember what the crowd said? No, wait, wait. We'll take Barabbas. 
Barabbas was a known criminal and they preferred to have the criminal set free and they preferred to have the innocent person crucified. And they even said this in Matthew 27, 23, let his blood be on our heads. They just said, we'll be guilty for it. Just kill him and we'll be guilty. Just just let it all be on our head. If you think he's innocent, just let his blood be on our head. So it was the people, wasn't it? Even though all those other things happened, it was the people who who really killed Jesus. They cried out for him to be crucified. They, They asked for Barabbas to be let free. But wait a minute. There's another group. The disciples. The disciples, you know, the 12, 11 at this point, who followed Jesus around. Remember, it was Peter who stood up in Matthew 26, 33 and said this, even though all may fall away from you, I will never fall away. That's what Peter said. Wow. Mark 14, 31 says this. But Peter kept saying incessantly, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing too. The disciples all agreed that they would never forsake Jesus unto death. But is that what happened? No. Did any of them do what they promised? No. Did any of them stand up as witnesses for Jesus? No. There was 12 of them. Surely the witness of 12 people could have overcome the couple scraggly paid witnesses that had weak, wimpy arguments. But did they provide the proof that Jesus was innocent? No. And what was their motive? Self-preservation. They wanted to save their skin. That's why. They wanted to make sure that they didn't get in trouble, that they didn't get hurt, that they didn't get persecuted, that they didn't get crucified. And so in order to save their skin, they didn't say anything and they all ran away. Peter even watched from a distance and watched the whole thing happen, the false accusations and everything. And he denied the Lord three times and then kept watching, kept watching the false accusations and never said a single word in his defense. They let Jesus be falsely accused and scourged and whipped and beaten and spat upon and nailed to the cross. They didn't lift a finger to help him and try and stop it. And the information they had would have freed him for sure. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, is what they said. Yet they all denied Christ, and none of them kept their word. And so they are really the guilty parties. Or were they? What about the soldiers? Think about the soldiers. 
The disciples actually didn't nail him to the cross, and neither did Herod, and neither did Pilate, and neither did Judas, and neither did the Jewish leaders. The soldiers were the ones who did the dirty deed. Pilate gave the order. Herod was responsible. The people cried out for his death. The disciples ran away and didn't come to his defense. The soldiers are the ones who actually crucified him. They tortured Jesus to death. But what motive could they possibly have had? Well, remember Herod, in mockery of Jesus, put a very expensive robe on him. When Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, Herod put this very nice kingly robe onto Jesus in mockery. Here you go, king of the Jews. They put the crown of thorns upon him. And the scriptures say that the soldiers in John 19.23 said, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was predicted, wasn't it, in Psalm 22. The soldiers wanted the robe. They were trained killers. The robe was worth a lot of money. In addition to that, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be king. He was also a threat to their immorality. He was a threat to their idol worship. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10, and 34. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, scourge him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Jesus said the Gentiles will do that. It could not have been Judas. It was not the Jewish leaders. It was not the Jewish crowd. It was the Gentiles, the soldiers. They killed Jesus. They were the ones who beat him and nailed him to the cross. They did the deed and they murdered Jesus, but they did have a leader. And we might think, well, if they had a leader, then that leader would be responsible, right? And I'm not talking about Pilate, and I'm not talking about Herod, and I'm not talking about Caesar. I'm talking about Satan. Do we even need to ask the question, did Satan have motive? If what Jesus said was going to happen, Satan would have everything taken away from him and he would be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. Satan knew that if Jesus came back again, his day was over. And so more than anybody, Satan had a motive. The scriptures say that he is a murderer from the beginning. Satan had the means too. The scripture says that all unbelievers are of their father, the devil. The scriptures say that all unbelievers walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. They're all pawns of Satan. And Satan also is able to tempt, just like he did the disciples, to flee from Christ. Yes, it was Satan. He was the mastermind working through these unbelievers, the murderer from the beginning He was responsible. Or was he? There is one other. There is one more suspect with motive and means, with purpose and decree, 
And that person is none other than God. God. Now, that is an interesting thought, isn't it? Do you remember what God predicted in Genesis 3.15? That the woman would, woman's seed would crush the serpent's head, but the serpent would bruise his heel, speaking of the crucifixion. God predicted it. He predicted it in Psalm 22. He pictured it in Genesis 22 with the sacrifice, almost sacrifice of Isaac, the substitution of the ram. And God had a purpose for the death of Jesus, didn't he? Listen to this. We read it earlier. Who killed Jesus? Isaiah 53.10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And as the result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. God was pleased to crush his only begotten son. Because he would bear the iniquities of those who are like sheep and go astray. So God not only predicted it, he not only had a purpose, he also decreed it. In Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7, God decreed, Awake, O sword, awake against my shepherd, against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. God decreed it to happen. My servant will be struck. My associate, my close partner. Some of the most conclusive evidence comes from John 10. Jesus said this in John 10, verses 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I only willingly offer it and I will take it up again. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized? Behold, the Lamb of God, not the Lamb of men. He was not a sacrifice of men. He was the sacrifice of God. And that is why Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son for us, but delivered him up for us all, how will he also give us with him, freely give us all things? That is so great. God is the one who gave his son. It was God who predicted it. It was God who purposed it. It was God who decreed it to happen. God needed to satisfy his holy justice, and the only way he could do that is to find a perfect substitute, and he couldn't find one, so he had to become a man. He had to come to earth. He had to live a perfect life, and then he had to willingly go to the cross. 
to die a substitutionary death for the sins of men, for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of every other sinner. The means by which God accomplished his purpose is providence. God allowed wicked men to function. He allowed Satan and demons to try and thwart him. And while all those wicked men and while all hell's hordes and demons and Satan were doing everything they could to thwart the plan of God, he accomplished the very thing he had decreed from before the foundation of the world. Because he's God. One of my favorite verses on this is Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. As Peter is speaking at Pentecost, this is what he said. Now listen closely. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. That is what is called the doctrine of concurrence. That God is able to allow sinners to do their thing, Satan to do his thing, demons to do their thing. And at the same time, concurrently, as they try to thwart the very work of God, they end up fulfilling it unwittingly. This Jesus whom you crucified by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So who killed Jesus? Well, God predicted it. God had a purpose. God decreed it. God had the means, his providence, working through evil men and Satan. But what was his motive? And this is what we want to end with tonight. What was God's motive? I won't even give you the verse reference. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's what Good Friday is all about. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 5? That God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The motive was love. And that is the greatest motive of all. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so thankful. Father, you are just so great. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for demonstrating your love for us in the person of Jesus. Father, we could be quick to jump to conclusions, thinking that maybe it was Judas, or maybe it was the Jewish leaders, or maybe it was Pilate, or Herod, or the crowd, or the soldiers, or the disciples. Satan, but it is you. You had planned it from long ago. You had purposed in your heart to save unworthy sinners for the motive of love, unconditional, unearned, undeserved favor, grace. 
And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight, anyone here who has never repented of their sins and turned from their wicked way and committed themselves to follow after you and receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that right now in their heart they would do that. Father, you have said no greater love has any man than this, than that he laid down his life for a friend. The Proverbs say that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and we know that friend is Jesus. Father, we rejoice, we praise you, we bless you for the great grace you have given us. May we live in sin no more to show our gratitude and love to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.